Deep in the forests of Appalachia, a friendly earthworm makes its way to who knows where, when suddenly a dark form approaches. If it had eyes, the earthworm would see a large, furry creature coming toward it, pounding the earth with its nose. At the end of its snout sits a wriggling mass of writhing tentacles, as though the creature had abducted the earthworm's brethren and assimilated them into his nostrils. The worm desperately tries to flop away, but its face slash butt accidentally brushes up against the amalgamation of pink tendrils. In an instant, your already dark world is consumed by... more darkness. Hmm. I shouldn't have picked a worm. Should have gone with crickets. Everybody likes crickets. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. Your 30 minutes of interesting animal info. I'm Joe. And I am Carlos. And today we're talking about a creature that could be a schnoz seismologist. But more on that later. So today we're talking about, in this post-Thanksgiving episode... Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy, yes. Happy... Digesting Thanksgivings. Digesting and shopping. Today we're talking about a small furry creature, better known as the star-nosed mole. Yeah, I chose this one because it disturbed me the most. Same, actually. We'll get to that in the well, description. You didn't, didn't choose it. I, I, I chose it. Don't take this from me. <laughs> anyway, the star-nosed mole. You've probably seen it and uh, erased that memory from your uh, from your brain. So let's uh, let's talk about it. Um, first of all, just want to put some colloquialisms in here, just just to throw around. Such as the stellar smeller, <laughs> starry fright. Okay, I like that. And the hamster ball of Cthulhu. Ah, I got it. Get it? I, uh-huh. It took me a bit, but I got like it. The call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Are you ready to hear where it goes in the animal kingdom? It goes in my pocket. It's not cute enough to go in my pocket. It's a big, big enough pocket. I'd much rather have an Alaskan collared pika in my pocket. Yeah, same. Although I, they're both, they both live in like small, dank areas. So very dank. Yeah, pocket's fine. <laughs> Although you'd have to. I think the mole would fare better in my pocket than the pika. It's probably a little warm for them. For the pika, yeah, yeah they don't pocket. do well in hot temperatures. Yeah, <laughs> but let's find out where they live. Not in your pants, but in the animal kingdom. <laughs> uh, they're in the kingdom which you all know and love and are in, Animalia. Yes. I was hoping for that one. They're in the phylum Chordata because because they, they deserve it. <laughs> because for no reason. Just <laughs> threw it in there. They're in the class Mammalia, which uh, you're also in. Congratulations. Unless you're a bird who's listening to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's true. I guess a bird would not necessarily understand what I'm saying, but it could be hearing this. Yeah, it, it's definitely could be hearing, but not listening. Yeah, no. Uh, it's it, in the order... It's definitely could be hearing. That's what I said. That's English. <laughs> Enjoy it. Have it. Love it. <laughs> it's in the order... Eulipta... Eulipatifla. Nice. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> You up? I'm not gonna say that quickly. Ulipotifla. 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 Yeah, that's fine. I don't like that word. Me neither. It's not very good. It's not a good word. 
Fla. No. <laughs> it ain't. P-H-L-A at the end of that one. It's not good. T-Y-P-L-P-H-L-A. Look, so Tifla. Typhla. Like typhoid. Yeah, no. I was going to do it again, but I'm done with it. Nope, you're... That- Family. <laughs> Telpidae. That one's easy. Yeah, that's not so bad. Subfamily, if you're into that sort of thing. Scalopinae. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm into it yet. Scalopinae? I think it's in a, I think subfamilies are an acquired taste. What about tribes? Oh, uh, no. That's for the diehard fans. Condi Lisa Rice. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I almost believed you but for a second. But it is Condi Lurini. Condi oh. Lurini. Yeah. Uh, genus, Condi Lura. And species, Cristata. Condi Lura Cristata. Yep. That's where it lives in the animal kingdom. But what does it look like? We've said it's disturbing. Let's find out why. Uh, <laughs> Google it. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the car. Not in the car. If you're, in case you're driving, the star-nosed mole is a small mammal with brown fur or gray fur, if it's in season, uh, a round body and large front paws with long claws. Uh, disproportionately large. Quite large indeed. It's a mole. It's got a dick. Yeah. You dig? Uh if the mole is listening, then it would say yes. Uh, <laughs> most notably, it has a pink, fleshy, hideous nose with sea anemone-esque tendrils coming off of it. Yep. Uh, when I was a kid, I thought its nose was its whole face. Me too. Because it's like dark eyes are blended with its fur. So I thought it just had like this tiny little face on this like roundish body and huge hands. So I thought it was a terrible monster. I I also thought it had no eyes. It could Af- after that. So it's first like, oh, that's its whole face, and then wait, that's not its whole face. But it doesn't have any eyes. <laughs> it's this like eyeless, horrible worm monster. It might as well. Yeah, it's pretty close to that because it's not it can't see very well. But that now you know pretty much what it looks like. But how big is it? Oh. We're here already. We are here already. I like to do. I like to get it in early. I just got comfortable. That brings us to the listeners' favorite part of the show, as introduced by members of the listening community. If you want to submit your own uh, introduction to this segment, just say, speak, or scream, or chitter. Chitter. Yeah, we've established that chittering is an acceptable form of communication. Uh huh. Uh. The words measure up right into your phone's like memo thing or your phone's recording app mm-hmm. and just send it right on over. Mm-hmm. Today's, uh, today's measure up segment is brought to you by Dulcie. Without further ado, the listener's favorite segment of the show. Three, two, one. Measure up. <laughs> and, and here we are. On the other side of that marvelous introduction. That was great. I loved it. <laughs> uh, getting right into it, let's talk about length. Uh, they are about 4.6 inches, these moles. How many moles... <laughs> you need to get that checked. Star, star-nosed. <laughs> is How it many... changing size? Is it is it raised? Does it, does it have well-defined borders? Is it uh, red on the outside? I don't know if that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> This is one of the genres of mole you can have. <laughs> Bad one. Uh, how many star-nosed moles 
go into the length of a standard oblong city block in Manhattan. What was the difference between an oblong and I'm glad a you asked. standard city Here's block? Here's the hint. A city block can be a square or an oblong, which is a rectangle. In Minneapolis, an average oblong block is 330 feet or 100 meters. Okay. In length. I'm just going to assume that Minneapolis and, uh, and New York did a big high five on their oblong uh, city blocks and decided to do, have the same exact measurements. Mm-hmm. You said 300 and how many feet? 30. 30 feet. This I think we both know the fact that I put it as the hint means it's wildly different. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to call your bluff. So how many inches was this thing again? 4.6. 4.6 inches. 4. Uh, 850, 875. Very wrong. Um <laughs> The average uh, length of an oblong city block in Manhattan is 900 feet, of or it is. 274 meters. They always have to go so extra with everything. <laughs> everything so, is big in New York. That's, that's why they say. write songs about New York and not Minneapolis. That's why they call it the Big Apple, because of their oblong city blocks. The answer is 2,348 moles. Okay. All right, whatever. All right, you got me. All right, let's move on to something we've never talked about before, eating speed. What? Considered the fastest eating mammal, uh, moles of the star-nosed variety can identify and consume food in 227 milliseconds on average. Oh, I got 120 milliseconds on that. Oh, that's that's the high end. Oh, that's the record? Yes, I said on average. Um, How many things could a star-nosed mole eat in the time it takes Usain Bolt to run 100 meters? The fastest man on earth. Whose name is just so appropriate. Yeah. And completely, give, like, his given name, his birth name. No, he didn't. He, he's not a, it's not like Ice Cube. No. No, Ice Cube's his real name. <laughs> <laughs> Iceberg Cubicle. <laughs> this is his full name. Um, 100 Yards. He... 100 meters. 100 meters. All right, fine. That's basically the same thing. He runs at, what, 35 miles an hour, I think, uh, in a dead sprint. Like I'm going to translate that into meters. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're wrong anyway. I don't think I'm wrong. I think I'm pretty close. He runs pretty fast. Um, While you look that up. Because I remember looking this up. Who doesn't look up? What, how, how, fast. how fast can the fastest man alive run? I think You're I remember. wrong. Am I that really wrong? It's not, yeah. It's not even close to 35? No. <sighs> Maybe in a shorter sprint. I guess 100 meters is a lot longer than I thought. But 100 meter dash is like the, the, the gold standard of sprints. Is it? I, whatever. I'll it's one. Out. It's one length of the... The track. Yeah, so he can be at a, at his at his fastest the whole time. Sure, because yeah. it's not that long. Yeah, I guess. I'm gonna say it takes him 15 seconds. Okay, that sounds about right. Okay, <laughs> don't laugh at me. Okay, now I'm now I'm all self conscious. Um, sure, fine, whatever. I'm not winning any any Olympic medals <laughs> for this. Um. All right, 15 seconds, 220 milliseconds, you said? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just a millisecond. 
So one thing I do like about the metric system is I could figure this out with multiples of 10. So what, there's about five. It can eat five things per second in 15 seconds. Yeah. So 75. It can eat 75 things in the time it takes Usain Bolt to run 100 meters. So you thought Usain Bolt was way faster when you set his MPH, which in fact is 28 miles per hour. And you thought he was way slower when you set his seconds, which is 9.69. Oh, I I wasn't about to translate (laughs) miles per hour into meters. (laughs) The answer is 42 and a half things. 42 and a half things? Yeah. I wonder if I would have gotten the same. I think my math was on point. Yeah. Whatever, let's move past this, this <laughs> dark, dark time in our lives. <laughs> All right, so that's the end of that. Let's uh, move on to fast facts. Uh, or in other words, a section of the podcast I'm calling, Where Is It and What It Do? Um, Are we doing this every time? No, just this time. And maybe if I ever Although it does again. apply to almost all animals. Yeah. It's not like the um, know the difference. Yeah, well, there's sometimes there's a lot of nebulous fast facts. This time it's about pretty much where where it lives and what it do. Okay. Uh, tell us what it do. What it does is another way to say that in English. Uh, so the Hollywood Walk of Face uh, can be found in... What? Because it's got a star nose. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, it can be found in northeastern North America, as far north as Canada, just below the Arctic Circle, and down into Appalachia, as the introduction spoke, spake to you. Uh, We're good at English today. <laughs> it prefers wet lowlands with soft soil and plenty of tasty insects, worms, mollusks, amphibians, and fish to feast upon. Fancy it, feast. Yeah, pretty much. Not really. They're gross and nasty and invertebrates. Uh it focuses on constantly eating smaller prey in large quantities rather than eating larger prey in smaller quantities. It's a good tactic. Uh, though they prefer areas near water, they can be found in dry meadows as well. Um, uh, it spends a lot of its time underground digging for ground grub, um, but it's also an adept swimmer, and it's pretty good at finding food underwater, despite being almost completely blind. With a tactic we'll talk about later mm-hmm. yeah um moles have one litter of pups a year in late spring oh they're pups yeah i looked it up they're pups that's almost cute uh but they may have a second litter if their first one wasn't cool enough in in that they died oh okay uh babies are born hairless blind deaf and Anosmic, which is the equivalent word for someone who can't smell. Anosmic? Yeah. Anosmia is you can't smell. If you have anosmia, you can't smell. Huh. When you get stopped up, you're anosmic, I think. Temporarily anosmic. Uh, Though their lack of senses aren't because, you know, it's not true anosmia. It's because their orifices are sealed before opening 14 days after they they are born. Gross. So they're sealed up with who knows what. And uh, <laughs> they open up later. Birth uh, jellies. <laughs> uh, newborn pups are a gram and a half and about two inches long. 
which makes them tasty snacks for the mole's main predators, which are foxes, weasels, minks, badgers, skunks, cats, and every bird of prey in the Northeast. Yeah, uh, they, they, I can I can imagine these guys don't do well outside of their burrows. No, it stinks to be both small and delicious. <laughs> and pink. <laughs> but that's and <it>. blind. <laughs> yeah, 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 not good. You can't feel the air when there's a, a bird of prey coming at you. You can. I guess you can feel it in the you feel some calling fl- you in the air. Feel some flutters tonight. <laughs> oh, oh lord! Uh, <laughs> uh, that's the end of the fast facts. Now take it away with the major fact. Uh, so this is where the fact gets major. No, oh, great. <laughs> so um, let's talk about its snoot, because it's got an ugly snoot, but a good one. Uh huh. Um, and a snoot snoot. Yeah, very stute snoot. This Lovecraftian lemming has a nose with 22 pink fleshy people fingers attached to it. <laughs> that we're going to call rays because that's what the uh, scientific community calls it, rays. Um, which is cool, I guess, but kind of generic. I like people fingers. Um, so the, these things don't smell. They, there are no olfactory sensors on this thing. It does have a nose and it can smell things, but these fleshy finger things are not the nose. They're not your normal nosely things. No. They don't serve your normal nosely functions. Your, your nosely needs. Yes. Um, your everyday <laughs> nosely <laughs> needs. Uh, and they also can't grab anything. You always, When you look at it, you're like, if I were to put my finger on that, it would grab my hand and then just inject me with eggs or something like that it looks so horrifying <laughs> it, does, um, it looks like a uh, a face hugger from alien it sure does it sure does um which is why i said that <laughs> but no it doesn't have any muscles in it it's actually controlled by uh tendons that are attached to the muscles in the skull which uh make it so that they kind of oscillate Gross. Constantly. Nasty. Um, Filth. And and wriggle and writhe. Good. Uh, so instead of having olfactory sensors, they have 25, well, all of them together, have 25,000 little bumps on them called Imer's organs. Pro- okay. Probably discovered by some megalomaniac named Imer. <laughs> uh, but each one has 100,000 nerves. So this is a very touchy nose and um almost all moles have imers organs on them somewhere but uh not as many as the star-nosed mole over here Uh, the star is six times more sensitive than the human hand so the human hand altogether has seventeen thousand nerve receptors Uh, each ray has a different number of nerves per imer organ so they're specialized it's not like all 22 are the same thing by hitting one it knows which one you hit and it translates to a different response from the mole Um, and they correspond to a different area of the brain so you have if i have a diagram here if you want to look at it it's very asymmetrical because i was overzealous in the first 11 on the right side and then kind of kind of botched it on the other 11 on the left side (laughs) Okay. It is supposed to be symmetrical. And you were, <laughs> I guess, going to color it in and then lost your... No, no, no. I colored in the two... Um, oh, those the, are important. The two lower ones. The the 11th rays. Um, so just imagine 
well, yeah, the face hugger from Alien, just like this anemone that's relatively symmetrical. Um, and then down at the bottom, there are there are two, and uh, they're both the eleventh rays on one on each side, and these are special ones. It's kind of like they they function as where your focus is. So most animals have a primary sense. Humans have our vision, uh-huh. like this is what we rely on the most to get information. Uh, like bats have their hearing. Uh, these guys have touch. It's a tactile bias. Interesting. And it's a little more than a feeling. <laughs> um, so what they'll do is they'll their little oscillating little finger thingies are constantly moving around and they're patting the ground with it and just exploring their tunnel. And when it hits something, when one of the fringe um, rays hits something, then it'll immediately flip its head towards the thing and touch it with its 11th tentacles. (laughs) Gross. Um, And so that's like if you saw something out of your peripheral vision and then you snapped your eyes to it to focus on it. Okay. So those 11th ones are like the focus of your eyes and then the rest are like peripheral vision. And they move around in the same way. Its head moves around in the same way that your eyes do. So rather than a smooth... Um, motion they snap from place to place so like try this if you're at a stoplight just try to move your eyes smoothly without having them jump it's it's kind of tough <laughs> your eyes naturally it's jump easier from place if to you're place. following something rather than even so your eyes jump from thing to thing huh. like they don't it's not like a smooth um like camera action it's more like lights camera action <laughs> uh, so because of this instant reflex, um, it can identify that something that it's touched as food in eight milliseconds despite not being able to see it. So it's patting the ground with its nose and probably touching sticks and um, clumps of dirt and what have you, roots. And then as soon as it touches a worm or a cricket or whatever it's trying to eat, it in- identifies it in eight milliseconds. And then, like we said, it takes about uh, 220 milliseconds for it to eat it. Yeah, that actually includes lo- like identifying it. Yeah, ident like touching it, snapping its head to to I touch it with the eleventh rays, uh, focus on it essentially, and uh, identifying it as food, and then putting it in its mouth and consuming it. Mm-hmm. Two hundred and twenty milliseconds. Yeah, like one fifth of a second. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So imagine that like it's like Daredevil and it is creating a picture of the world around it through just touch. So because it's this because it has the most sensitive tactile organ in the animal kingdom, um, they theorize when I say they, I mean the echo chamber that is the internet theorizes that these guys <laughs> can um, uh, detect seismic waves. Now, I read that. I tried to follow the links. I tried to do some extra research, and I, all I saw was were passing comments that say, "We believe that they can detect seismic waves." And then just that was it. The rest of it was about how cool it is, how yeah. cool the touch is, good touch, <laughs> and then nothing about the seismic waves. So I was like, "What? What's the deal there?" So you want to break in and tell me more about seismic waves? Uh, so I found it on discovery.com, Discovery Channel, mm-hmm. and then also UNC Charlotte. 
Urban Institute, which I assume is a university. Um, Sounds like a good one. Yeah. Uh, they um, just also, in a passing comment, say they can detect they can detect seismic rays. Waves. Waves. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down waves. I was like, did you say rays? I've been saying rays a lot, but it's definitely. Okay. Uh, with their rays, they detect seismic waves. Yes. Uh, it's all about the rays anatomy. So it's theorized that. <laughs> <laughs> You're nice. slow on the draw today. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the it's theorized that um, the 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 nose can a detect seismic rays and if we can make instruments that are as good at doing that as the nose of a mole, then we could potentially make uh, seismic instruments that can get the jump on earthquakes. So we will know them before. They're destroying things. So it's not that, oh, we know this thing can detect seismic waves. It's more like, this is some good tactile stuff, and we could probably reverse engineer it to help us. Well, we think that it can also do that. But, like, where well, We're was not the... about to, like, treat with it and say, tell us, when is the next earthquake? Or, like, if there were... I guess you we're can't... We're too proud for that. You can't really <laughs> simulate seismic waves in, like, a lab environment. Sure you can. You it... shake the table. That's not seismic. <laughs> Maybe to it. Do a seismic toss on a on a small mole. Pokemon move. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's what I got. So then the last thing um, is the... You mentioned swimming underwater and being able to find and identify and eat food while underwater despite being virtually blind. Here's its tactic. It okay. can smell underwater. Which is which is pretty crazy. I'm just going to leave it at that. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> what it does is it, it swims along the bottom and it blows out a bubble through its horrifying, horrifying nose. Yeah. And um, this big bubble will like envelop what its, it, its nose is in front of and then it'll suck the bubble back in and whatever particles it picked up, it'll identify those particles. And then if it finds a fish, mollusk worm that's down there at the bottom it'll eat it so well i saw a video of it doing that and it actually found an earthworm at the bottom of this lake so i was like i didn't know earthworms could be down there sure but um yeah it's pretty good swimmers and um it's kind of just like sometimes it the bubble gets away from it so i'd be like did you accidentally suck in some water that time because <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to like the bubble is not supposed to leave like form yeah. by itself it's supposed to just kind of expand out like a like a like bubble gum and then be sucked back in yeah. with whatever information it gathered. I thought it could also detect uh, vibrations that touch the bubble. Probably. I didn't read that, though. Yeah. But that's all I got. Well, that brings us to a new segment. Oh, no. Which I'm calling After the Fact. How many se new segments are you are you introducing this episode? There's only six more. I'm just kidding. <laughs> two, two segments in this episode. I, I don't... I don't think my heart can handle this kind of change. After the fact uh, is the name of this segment. And uh, so the mole has a specific molecule in its nose that are really good at turning touch signals into electrical signals in the brain. And it turns out we also have this molecule. So 
if we can learn to better understand what this molecule does, then it could potentially lead to better treatments for pain in humans. According to that UNC Charlotte Urban Institute huh. uh, article I read. Nice. And that concludes this segment of After the Fact. So what do you think is uglier, this guy or the naked mole rat? Naked mole rat. Because wispy hair always does it to me. And what it is, is give me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> <laughs> that gives you the heebie-jeebies more than 22, like, muscleless, fleshy, writhing appendages? Yes, because... They're pink. Because this whole thing is a, a, a basically muscleless, writhing appendage. And the, the the naked mole rat. No, but it has a wrinkly sack. Is what this is. But like, at is. least it hasn't like it has an ugly face. But I I know what its face is. <laughs> I can immediately identify it as like a little rodent thing. But this guy, it's like well, you're you're not sure what's happening. All you know is that it's nefarious. The only thing scarier than the unknown is a distortion of the familiar. Yeah, and so by by taking seven people's hands and like fusing them together and putting them on the face of a giant blind it's not, it's not, it would be giant to an earthworm but you know burrowing creature it's just just awful so you get like these little fleshy uh, tendrils tickling you and you turn around and you're getting eaten yeah eaten you, well you don't even have time to think about it you, no you, you, this has been 220 milliseconds <laughs> The, the shorter version of 60 minutes. This has been 220 mil- <laughs> milliseconds. And this has been Life, Death, and Taxonomy. For you out there in Podcastia, spread your fleshy tendrils, keep your nose to the ground, and get yourself some grub like the star-nosed mole in Life, Death, and Taxonomy. Hey everyone, Life, Death, and Taxonomy here with a message to our fellow Americans. We're here to tell you that if you live in the U.S. of A., then the Lovecraftian nightmare known as the Star-Nosed Mole is living in your backyard. They're weird, and we don't like weird things. How can you help, you say? Inform the sheep who live in their lives in ignorance. Say no to being touched by this creepy mole with a face anemone, and tell your friends about our little show here, so that no one has to endure the cold, unflinching nose horror stare of this otherwise completely harmless creature. Remember... These things are among us. If you see one on the street, don't approach it. Just log on to your favorite podcasting app and leave a review for Life, Death, and Taxonomy and say thanks for removing the scales from my eyes. Paid for by the foundation of not getting touched by mole faces. Alright, so, for you out there in Podcastia, split... <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> for you out there in podcast, get out of here. Split. Split. <laughs>